Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I know what it's like to hear those three words. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. One day I said to my wife, Linda, that I hated the fact that I had cancer. And she looked at me and said, no, sweetheart, we have cancer. This transformed the way I looked at cancer because every one of us is touched by it in some way. Patients and survivors, caregivers and medical professionals, and we all have a story to tell. On each episode, we share those stories to inform, inspire, and provide hope to all of us who are affected by cancer to remind us that we are not alone. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 181 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. So I'm recording this on Monday, July 5th, and Linda and I just returned from a two-week vacation, a week in Colorado visiting our son, and from there we flew down to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and had a spectacular week there too. And I share that with you because, you know, I like... I know that, uh, you know, part of the we and we have cancer is is sharing what's happening with me, but also to, you know, talk a little bit about uh, being in control, being in control of your cancer, your, your treatment. And we had this trip booked before I received the news late in May of my most recent recurrence. And, you know, I know some people would just say, well, I guess we got to cancel our plans. But, you know, 10 years into into this, you know, experience with stage four colon cancer, I've learned a lot. And one of the things I've learned is uh, living my life is important, critically important to me, too. So my reaction wasn't, oh, I need to cancel my trip. My reaction was... Hey, Doc, how about we delay uh, chemo for a week so I don't have to cancel my trip? And uh, as is usually the case, uh, my doctor was more than uh, happy to accommodate my request. And it was a nice two-week break, folks, you know, from cancer, from, you know, the effects, um, and just just to clear my mind and and just have, you know, wonderful time with my wonderful wife and son and daughter-in-law. And uh, I have zero regrets uh, for taking this trip. And, you know, I hope if you have the opportunity to do something that brings you joy, it doesn't have to be, you know, a two-week vacation. It could be going out to dinner, right? That uh, you find a way to do that because, you know, these moments are are important. And I know for me, they're incredibly precious. When I first met my wife, Linda, uh, she turned me on to country music. uh, And it was via uh, a song by Keith Urban called Making Memories of Us. And two things about that song. First, I heard it the first time. And I told myself, we're going to walk down the aisle or we're going to have our first dance to this song. And this was 
like right after our first date. So that came true. And not only did it come true, but the title of the song, Making Memories, has been an ongoing focus uh, for me and for Linda. And that's what we do, and that's what we continue to do. Before I get to this week's guest, I want to remind you and thank you in advance for your ongoing support for our partners over at Campaign One at a Time. Uh, Brody will be joining us a little bit later into the show, introducing us to this month's Child of the Month, Tiago. And uh, I hope you will, if you're able, to support Campaign One at a Time and help bring Tiago's wish to become reality. My guest this week is Erin Kronikin, and you can find Erin via her website, erinkronikin.com, and on social media at Erin Kronikin, and it's spelled E-R-I-N-C-R-O-N-I-C-A-N. Erin wears many hats, and before I get to the cancer hat, let's get to the more important ones. Uh, she is an actor, and she lives in New York City. She's had a prolific career. She's appeared in roles like Veronica Mars on television, One Life to Live. Uh, but her true love is the theater. And she's been in many well-known performances. And when she's not performing, she's a career coach for actors. And she also is an award-winning theater director and does some fantastic work uh, in theater in New York City. And one of the things we talked about was the challenge of navigating that career during COVID. Since late 2018, Erin has been dealing with metastatic breast cancer, and we talked about that and how it's impacted her life and her career, and um, and her beautiful writing, which you can find via her blog, which you which you can link to through her site again at erinkronikin.com. So join me now for my conversation with Erin Kronikin. Erin, welcome to We Have Cancer. I am so happy to get the chance to meet you and have you on the show with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And, uh, you know, we are recording this. I always have to point that out because when we record and when this comes out are never the same thing. So we're recording this uh, early April, and they recently announced the Academy Award nominees. Yes, they did. And uh, I know that's something near and dear to you with your theater background, but my wife and I watched the film on Netflix, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yes. And when it ended, I looked at Linda and I said, if he doesn't win a posthumous Best Actor Award, I will be shocked. Yep. And of course, we're talking about Chadwick Boseman. And you wrote a, a blog post about him and you talked about your reaction to his death, and the word you used was gutted. And I know I was because I've got the same disease, stage four colon cancer. You are dealing with stage four breast cancer. Why did that one hit you so hard? Because we had been talking about Chadwick Boseman's appearance we being being the collective you know community for about a year without knowing what he was going through 
Um, I think the, sh- the death came as a bit, really big shock to everyone in the industry and outside of the industry. And just knowing from a first person perspective, how hard it is to go through cancer and not be able to tell anybody about it. I'm sure that he talked to some people, but it didn't really get leaked. And not only that, but he was made fun of because of his waning energy and they were talking about how he must have been puffed up with CGI for his older, you brought know, like his project with Black Panther, um, you know, trying to explain away what this weight loss was. And there was all these conversations about how he looked. And I just, it broke my heart for his family and just knowing what he was going through. And for him, what must have he been going through? seeing all of that did he pay attention to anything that was being talked about you know all these things kind of swam through my mind and and then just to hear somebody who's so young dying of cancer of course it makes you think about your own mortality so that's kind of where that word came from for me sure and and to look back and think about the work that obviously he was doing while he was going through treatment and 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 dealing with his cancer, yeah, uh, wow, right? Uh, I can't think of another word. Is just wow. But you also experience something similar. You know, one of the things that you know it depends on who your community is and who your audience is. I saw a lot of posts on on your Instagram account of people. Uh, you know, coming out and saying how much they admired your vulnerability, right? And putting yourself out there. Yeah. However, (laughs) when you go and do that professionally, you had a similar experience in a way to Chadwick. I did. I did. Um, In doing, in the midst of um, finding out that I had stage four breast cancer, I went through surgery um, and then we knew in my theater company that we were going to do this show. And I just had a lot of health complications when I first got diagnosed. I was put on a treatment for two months that didn't work. And so the the cancer just raged through my body. And um, so I started chemo officially in March of 2019. And I was scheduled to open a show in early April of that year. And so I had lost... 40 pounds in four months. And that was not from chemo. That was just the, the, we discovered that there was a tumor leaning on my adrenal gland and just was causing all kinds of problems with my appetite. And so when I did this show, I wasn't the, the really energetic person that people knew me to be. And they found all kinds of reasons in uh, these, these patron reviews of why I might have been a weak link in the production. And they were particularly just unrelenting in their negative thoughts about my performance. And it's not something like, you don't want to use cancer as an excuse. I wasn't going to put in my bio. And by the way, Aaron Kronikin is a stage four you know, breast cancer patient right now. So go easy on her when you judge her performance. You don't want to do that. You want to let your art stand on its own merits. And, you know, um, I had a co-director in that play who made sure, you know, everything is going as planned. You're doing fine. We would have swapped me out for another actor if in rehearsals, we really felt that this was not going to go well. 
but it did not, from some audience members' perspectives, uh, it did not go well. Interestingly enough, the production ended up being uh, nominated for three awards. Um, We didn't end up winning, but it was nominated for Best Ensemble, for Best Actress, for my leading um, co-star, and um, for Best Revival of a Play. So some people must have liked it, including the judges for these awards. But there were still these negative, you know, reviews. And it just made me think about how just you just never know what someone's going through. And and it just made me angry. And it made me angry on Chadwick's behalf. And it made me angry on my behalf and every person who deals with this sort of thing, who feels like they can't come out and talk about what they're dealing with for fear of, you know, I was afraid that people would say, well, what is wrong with you? Why are you still doing this then if you can't do it well? And I thought I was doing it perfectly well, you know? So it's just a fine line that you, you ride when you are ill, but you're still trying to pursue the things that you, you love. And that, and the things that bring you joy and money. And it's like, this was my, my livelihood, you know, it was being a performer. Sure. I mean, we talked about that before we hit record about some of the things that you and I share in common that, you know, bring us joy. And, exactly. you know, and our doctors say, go live your life and, and do that. You know, when I think about your profession as an actor, I often think about don't a lot of cancer patients find themselves, depending on the circumstances, depending on who they're with, also doing a lot of acting. Mm-hmm. For example, right? My parents are elderly. They're in pretty good health, but I never want them. They got to, you know, they're in their late 80s. I don't want them worrying about me. So I'm always going to tell them, put on the face, right? Mm-hmm. That everything's okay. Unless I won't lie. If something comes up and I've got a treatment or a surgery, then I will find the way to tell them at the right time. But I, you know, don't we all do that, right? Oh, I'm good. You know, everything's fine. You know, oh, you look great, right? We get that one a lot. All you look the time. great. So you good. have no idea how I'm feeling. Right, but exactly. Good to know you think I look great. So, you know, there's kind of that yin and yang, I guess, isn't there? I think for sure. I always feel like if I actually say what's going on, that it so impacts the person I'm talking to that I I just feel compelled to take care of them. So uh, that's just in my nature. And so I, I oftentimes find myself normalizing things like, yes, I have brain tumors right now, but they are saying that this is expected and the radiation's just going to take care of them. And they're like, what? You have brain tumors? Yeah, but there are only like five or six of them and they're totally manageable. <laughs> you know, it's, I find myself saying things like that. And then I think of the words coming out of my mouth and go, my God, are you listening to yourself? <laughs> you know? And it's a wonder we don't scare people away sometimes. Exactly. Right? <laughs> you know, so how are you doing? Well, I woke up and my nose was bleeding. I spent 20 minutes trying to clear the mucus out of my, out of my throat and my head. And then I had diarrhea, you know, (laughs) right. Uh, But that's, you know, I guess that's, that's the life, the life we live. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the, we have cancer show. As always, thank you so much to Lee for providing this awesome opportunity to spread more awareness for our campaign kids. 
For those of you who don't know me, my name is Brody Nicholas and I have the honor of leading campaign one at a time. This month, we are sponsoring Thiago, a four-year-old cancer patient from Hacienda Heights, California. Thiago is super charismatic and quite the goofball. He's currently battling stage four Wilms tumor of the left kidney and has gone through chemotherapy, radiation therapy, port implants, biopsies, and has even had his left kidney removed. After all he's been through, we wanna help Thiago and his family make more memories together outside of the hospital. That's why we're on a mission to raise $10,000 this month to send Thiago and his family to Disney World for a much-needed vacation. You can learn more about Thiago's campaign and learn how you can help by visiting wehavecantershow.com forward slash Thiago. Thank you so much for listening and helping make more dreams come true for kids like Thiago. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. You know, the other thing that we talked about was, you know, a lot of people turn to writing a book, doing a blog, starting a podcast when they get cancer. Um, and blogging has been a big part of your life. We talked about that, but you started that way before you were diagnosed. Yeah, you right? know, I started blogging back when websites were starting to be created way back in the 90s while I was in college. I learned how to code websites and I started writing a daily diary. And it was not something in a blog platform because those things didn't exist. It was just on my website. I create an HTML page that had, you know, next entry, next entry, next entry. And I just learned how to blog. So I've been blogging since 1998. But on this current blog, I started it when I moved to New York City in 2005 so that I could keep in touch with people back home. So it started out as being a very New York centric, you know, Californian fish out of water moving to New York sort of thing. Um, And then when I initially got diagnosed with um, stage two breast cancer in 2015, it kind of transformed into being more medically driven and talking about kind of the aspects of having cancer that are not really talked about. Maybe not as much of the medical stuff as just the personal stuff and emotional stuff that that comes with it. Um, And so it's a kind of a mix of my performance life and my medical life and personal life. So there really wasn't any pause to, gee, I've been blogging. Should I be blogging about my diagnosis? It was just a natural segue. It really was. And in fact, I found it to be really important for me because blogging for me is a place where I can put all of my ideas down and my thoughts And then if people want to read it, they can or they don't have to. But most people who read it, then they don't have to ask how I'm doing really deeply. They'll have read it. And they read it in a way that I got a chance to think through. I know that these thoughts are what I want to share. Um, And it just makes it so much easier for me to be authentically with people instead of feeling like I have to hide all the time. I didn't. The one thing I didn't do was I didn't look at the uh, date timestamps on there. How often are you writing? Um, I not as frequently as I should. That's for sure. Um, I think my last post, I'm in the midst of writing a medical update post right now. But my last post was probably in January. So it's been a while. So it's been a few months. Yeah, yeah. 
Not like you haven't had other things going on. Yeah, I know, right? I just get <laughs> I get carried away. I I want to write forever, and then I think that it takes forever to write when I could just write a paragraph and it would be fine. So that's that's. The... No, I disagree. I I I love your writing. Oh, thank I, you. I, I'm entertained by it, and uh, the spectrum of topics you cover is pretty broad. Yeah. And for our listeners, you can find the link to Aaron's blog in the show notes for today's episode at wehavecancershow.com. Another one that jumped out at me, and this one was like, whoa, was the one you wrote. And it's, it's, been, uh, it's been some, you know, um, well over a year since you put this one out. You talked about how grief and gratitude can coexist. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I was finding at the time, it's been a while since I wrote that one. Um, it's probably been a year. Yeah. The idea that I can be grieving this life that I used to have and also be grateful for the life that I have now. And I'm trying to remember if that, if I wrote that before my mother's death, I think I must have, because I don't think I've written anything like that since then, but it takes you wrote time. it in December. Of 2019. Of 2019, yeah. So that was was, uh, two months before my mother's death. Yeah. And so there, it takes on even deeper connotations now when I'm dealing with another grief and we're all dealing with the pandemic, which is a national and international sort of grief. Um, But the idea that they can coexist, because I think a lot of times there in cancer, there's a toxic positivity that gets enforced where you have to be grateful for your life and you have to, you you know, you have one more day make sure you're getting, checking things off on your bucket list and you're really seizing life. And, you know, some days there's just a grief that happens. There's, you know, there's a, my body is not my own. I don't look the same as I did before I had cancer. Um, I don't feel the same. I miss those carefree days. I miss the days where I was, innocent and didn't understand about my own mortality and that can coexist and it can still be a beautiful thing you know a beautiful thing to feel that grief and to go through those those feelings so let's talk more about that because i know for me i i consider myself probably to be more spiritual than religious Mm -hmm. and gratitude's a big piece of that yeah right you know you see something beautiful in nature let's say And you stop. Yes. You know, you stop and you take it in, right? You even listed, you know, under the things that you were grateful for, you know, I'm grateful for my chemotherapy. Very much so. When I can't get chemo because my blood counts are low, I'm so sad and frustrated. And, you know, yeah, I'm very grateful for it. It is keeping me alive. I consider it to be like medicine and not toxicity. I'm, so grateful that I, because I've been on the same chemo regimen for two years now and it's kept me stable, which is miraculous in itself. It normally gives out at about eight or nine months and somehow I've made it this far. We'll see when my next scans are. We'll see if, <laughs> see if that's changed, but you know. How far away is that? Uh, next week. <laughs> okay. We'll be sending lots of positive thoughts Thank you. your way on, on that one. What's it like you know, we hear this all the time and our listeners have heard my story. Talk about living from scan to scan. Oh, it's rough because I feel like I can't, I, you know, I, I just said, you know, I've been stable 
And I'm like, whoop, I just jinxed that because I'm having a scan next week. So definitely not going to be stable next week. And it's that kind of uh, nuttiness around every three. I'm now I'm getting my scans every four months because I've been so stable, which makes me nervous. So I'm like, why, why can't I just get them every three months like normal? But uh, they call it scanxiety. And uh, that's for sure what it feels like. I know my body, though. I know how it feels. And so if anything is, if anything's off or wrong, it's got to be pretty small at this point. So I know that it's it, my anxiety now is less about the cancer coming back in certain places, but more about having to change my regimen, which has been working so well. And I know my side effects. I can time my side effects. I know when they're going to happen. I know exactly how I'm going to feel. I can build my life around it. So it's like a pretty normal life with, you know, of course I'm getting chemo every week and, you know, <laughs> scans all the time, but, um, and stuck with needles much more than I care to admit. But, but, but there's a comfort in that routine. Though, yes. Right. That's the thing. Yeah. And so I'm afraid that that's going to change, that I'm going to get switched to another chemo that's going to make me lose my hair. Or it's going to make me have, you know, diarrhea, or it's going to make me throw up or these things that I'm not experiencing right now. So my fear is about that. And this sort of disruption to the life that I've built over the last two years, painstakingly built to work after being so ill before this chemo started working. Yeah. And this is, this just goes to, and people who aren't touched by cancer tend to not understand this, that even good news brings anxiety. Oh, absolutely. Right? You know, um, I can't recall if I shared this on the show, but you know, I asked my doctor if I could take a break over the holidays, late 2020. And he said, well, I was on two drugs at the time. He's like, what if we just did away with the one that's causing you trouble? And we'll just stick with the other one that basically has no side effects. And instead of doing it every two weeks, we'll do it every three. Mm -hmm. So of course, the initial reaction, right, is woohoo, yeah. right? Until the next scan's coming around and you're going, oh my goodness. Did I make was a that mistake? The, did yeah. I write, was yeah. that the right decision, right? Am I going to wind up paying for, you know, for that? What initially was something I was happy about and celebrating. Yeah. Fortunate for me, the, the next scan was still stable, so we're not changing anything. That's great. But, but you know, you, you know. Ex yeah, right? I mean, I've. Now it's like for how long? There are some people who have when they've gotten to the status that I am, I'm not, there still is some visible cancer in scans, but it's completely stable. And a lot of people go off the drugs when it's been stable for so long so that you can save up that drug so that when it comes back, then you can start that drug again because you know it works rather than doing what I'm doing, which is staying on the drug until it stops working. And I don't know which is better. I don't know. And I feel like it's too late now. So I'm just going to keep going. But I wish I had known that earlier. Because maybe I could have been like, because it's, it's inconvenient to have to go to chemo every week. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a 12 hour <laughs> That's day one way to describe it's, it. It's, it's wow. a full day. It's seven to seven. And yeah, that's crazy. You mentioned and, and uh, this certainly took a prominent place in your in your blog, your mother. Mm hmm. Tell us about mom. Oh, well, she was a firecracker and an amazing human being. And she, she and I were very close. And she was diagnosed with lung cancer 
right when I was finishing up with radiation treatments from my first bout with cancer. So it was like, it was completely overwhelming. And I thought, I can't handle this. I, I barely just got through these treatments on my own. And now my mother is sick. And she was diagnosed as stage four. But somehow she was on chemo for a year, for 11 months. And then she was, there was no evidence of cancer. So she stopped doing the chemotherapy and it never came back. And so we're now, you know, the family was like, well, I don't think maybe it was not stage four um, because she had no progression after that at all with no treatments whatsoever. But she had um, very serious respiratory issues based on that treatment um, the chemotherapy and the radiation, especially because she was radiating both lungs um, at the same time that she was having chemo. And it just one of her lungs collapsed and never reinflated. So she was only operating on one lung. And then that started diminishing. And so she passed away um, right before COVID hit February 11th, 2020 from respiratory illness. And she was just way too young. It just the, it, the treatment from the cancer was what killed her and not the cancer itself. And it's so disappointing and saddening that that was the case. But, you know, from the time that she was diagnosed, she lost all this lung capacity. And at a certain point, she wasn't leaving her home, you know, because she was on oxygen too much um, in the last, like, four months of her life. And it's just so beautifully written that you didn't just write a blog post about your mother, but you're actually writing letters to her. Yeah, I have another letter ready to come too. But I was going to promise that I would do a, a medical update first. Uh huh. You know, so I'm trying to spread them out and diversify my writing a little bit. Sure. Otherwise, I'd be but writing those, to my those... mother all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's okay too, right? Yeah. How has COVID impacted your work? Oh, it's. I mean, it's completely shut down everything. We were. We're very tenacious, um, our theater company uh, that I co-run with my, my partner and soon-to-be spouse. And uh, we created a program uh, called Ripple for Change, which is a program that pairs us with a nonprofit organization that is doing social justice work. Um, we pick a play that is themed along the lines of that nonprofit's work and present um, a couple of benefit performances so that they can, um, so we can raise some money from them, raise awareness about what they're doing. And we've been doing that throughout the pandemic, doing it through Zoom. And it's been a wildly successful. We've raised thousands of dollars for these nonprofits, help to widen our audience a little bit and really making a difference. We think the best way we can with theater is to tell a story. But if we can also connect that story to a real live organization that's doing the work and then have conversations about what we can do as global citizens to make a difference in this area. Um, it's been incredibly rewarding for us, um, rewarding for me to be able to have something to be doing that's artistic during this time. And we're just very proud of it. And you should be. What's that like doing a performance via Zoom? It's weird. It's really strange. <laughs> um, and, you know, we can see everybody that we're speaking to. So that's nice. But it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's an acquired, uh, not taste, <laughs> but it, you learn how to like, perform, well, you have to perform with your whole body, no matter what, but you know, you're only going to be seen from the chest up. So how to really get 
tight and really make sure that you're sharing with your audience, you know, what you need to be sharing. Well, you jumped the gun to my next question. Oh, dear. It's prominently right there on your finger, that engagement yes. ring. So, you know, we live for those, you know, good news moments. Yes. Uh, whatever they may be. And uh, I can't think of something too much bigger than, uh, you know, than getting, getting engaged. Yeah, I know. Right? I know. It's very exciting. I did not think that was going to happen. Although we've been together for nine years. And so we had sort of been just in a, in a loop of, no, we're just dating. It's no big deal. Except we've been living together forever and we have two dogs together. And, but I was pretty clear, especially after I got diagnosed as stage four, I was like, I'd really like to be married before I die. I know that's unfair to ask for. I was like, I know, but it's it's something I still really want. And so we had some conversations about it and then we didn't talk about it for a while. And then it just seemed like perfect timing in the middle of a pandemic. Why don't we try to get married? Uh, so we're going to get married in August. And I think by that time, you know, most people will be vaccinated. And even if we have to wear masks still, there will be, it's a small wedding. So it'll be able to be, to happen at least. How exciting. Yeah. It's been fun to, to plan. It's just like planning theater too. I produce theater and I'm producing my wedding. <laughs> and Talk about, is it Brandon? Yes. How did he take your diagnosis? Not very well. It was, it was difficult in the first go around. We, you know, it just was very scary for that. They go by they, them. It was very scary for them. And we had to, ended up having to go to therapy uh, to try to deal with how to communicate through the fear, because once I got diagnosed, it just seemed like nothing was certain anymore um, as far as they were concerned. And so it really shut down communication. We even after, after my my second diagnosis, my stage four diagnosis, even had a bit of time where we were almost broken up because it just, there was a sense of like, um, well, if this isn't perfect, then Aaron, you should go out and find that perfect somebody who can handle this because I don't know if I can handle it. Um, but we went to therapy again and realized a lot of things just weren't being communicated at all. And um, yes, this was not the perfect situation, but it turns out that the separation was not what they wanted. And so we found a way back to each other. And a year later, we get we get engaged, so and I yeah. I love the fo- the photo shoot. Yes, thank you. Thank Beautiful. You. Thank you. We had fun. so cool. It looked like you were having yeah. fun. So best wishes on that thank to you. the both of you. I think that's fantastic, Aaron. This has been great. It's great to meet you to to hear your story and um you know it's been a, it's been a pleasure and very uh inspiring to me uh your story has touched my heart it really has thank you very much it really means a lot to me i'm so glad to have been able to chat with you and all the best on not only the scan next week but all the future ones too yes thank you be well the colon cancer coalition has all kinds of wonderful events taking place in the coming months various ways that you can get out and move, whether it's get your rear in gear with a run-walk event or a golf event through the Caboose Cup, uh, Tour de Touche bike rides, 
lots of ways you can support the amazing work that the Colon Cancer Coalition does to raise awareness and fund local organizations that are making a difference in the world of colorectal cancer. You can check out all of their events by going to wehavecancershow.com forward slash CCC for Colon Cancer Coalition. And you can find an event in your neighborhood. Many are taking place in person, but they virtually all of them have virtual components as well, if that's your preference. So once again, support the Colon Cancer Coalition by going to wehavecancershow.com forward slash ccc thank you for listening to we have cancer and thank you to our sponsor the colon cancer coalition for your support you can subscribe to we have cancer by visiting apple Podcasts, google podcast stitcher radio or spotify and you can find us on social media by visiting our facebook page at we have cancer show and at we have cancer pod on both instagram and twitter